0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. You have your Bibles, and I hope you do. Do you turn with me to Revelation chapter 21? Uh, In this series called Afterlife, we're talking about the two places where the Bible says that all people will spend eternity when this life is over. A few weeks ago, we studied what the Bible teaches about hell and how believing in hell should change the way that we live our lives. Last time, we talked about the more pleasant topic of heaven, the place that God is preparing for those who know him. And today, we'll be talking about heaven once again. Let's start by reading uh, the first few verses of Revelation 21, then we'll skip over and read a few verses in Revelation 22 as well. But beginning here, Revelation 21 in verse 1, John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And then Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Let's pray together, church. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promise of this place that your son Jesus said he has gone to prepare for us. Father, we pray today that you would help us to see this place as you have revealed it to us in your word, that you would help us to long for this place, that you would help us to do as your word commands, to set our minds on things above where you are, rather than on things of the earth. Father, would you speak to our hearts as only you can? Through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in the last message in this series, I walked through Revelation 21 and 22 Uh, with you. We looked at 10 different truths from these two chapters about heaven. And today's message is basically part two of that message. And so what we're going to do today is a little bit different than our normal pattern. With with the groundwork that we have already uh, put in place last time, I want us to do a couple different things today. First off, I want us to take a few of the themes uh, that we looked at last time and, and unpack them a little bit more from the rest of Scripture and show how understanding heaven as God has revealed it to us in His Word, helps to tie together some of the themes, uh, themes that we actually see showing up in the very beginning pages of the Bible. And then after we do that, I want to take some time and answer some of the most common questions about heaven uh, that folks sometimes will have. And then before we're through, I want us to talk about how believing in heaven, believing in this doctrine that has been revealed to us, should change the way we live our lives right now. And so that is the plan for our time together today. And again, as we get started, uh, let's look at a few of these themes that show up here in Revelation 21 and 22. But are really broad, sweeping themes that start way back in the first chapters of Genesis and all find their resolution in heaven in Revelation 21 and 22. There's really a lot of themes that we could talk about, but I'm going to limit uh, our discussion to four of these themes today. And the, the first theme is this, the theme of recreation, recreation. creation that we go from life on this earth to life on a new earth. And look at how John describes it again at the beginning of Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This text says that one day God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And then he says in verse 2 that the New Jerusalem, the capital city, Uh, Of heaven will come down out of heaven to the earth and it is there on this new earth that verse 3 says God will come and live with us and because heaven is wherever God is if God is going to come and dwell with us on this new earth then one day heaven will literally be on earth heaven and earth Will be one. And I think that truth in itself may be a new truth for many of us. I think it's easy to kind of read right past where it says that God will create a new earth and not realize that that is where the eternal heaven is going to be, that we're going to live forever on a new earth. And, and of course, that brings us back full circle to where the Bible first began, the very first words of the Bible in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And here in Revelation 21, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, when he says that, when he says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, there is a debate about what that means. There are many Christians who believe that God will completely burn up the present earth and will start over, as it were, with a new earth from scratch that he will make after he totally and utterly destroys the first one. And that's based in part on a passage in 2 Peter 3, where it does say that God will destroy the earth by fire in a similar way to how he destroyed the earth by water in the days of the flood. Uh, But what I would say to that is that if the flood is the analogy that we are supposed to be thinking about, what happened during the days of the flood? Did God utterly take the earth away and put a new one in its place? No, he did not. He destroyed the surface things of the earth through the waters of the flood, and then he recreated the earth. I believe that's what he's going to do with the new earth as well. That he won't get rid of the earth entirely and put a new one in its place, but he will recreate the earth so that it is fundamentally a new earth, but it is still the earth. And one thing that we need to understand if we're going to really grasp this idea of God remaking the earth is we need to remember that what is wrong with the earth right now is because of us. God's creation was declared good in Genesis 1 and 2 before Genesis 3 happened. But when Genesis 3 happened, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, one of the curses that God handed out was on the ground itself. The world right now is fallen and under a curse. Why? Because we are fallen and under a curse. That the world is marred right now and distorted from what God originally intended it to be because we are marred and distorted from what God originally intended for us to be. And sometimes I think we forget that. That the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the fall, extends farther than us. It extends all the way to creation Itself. Creation, in short, is messed up because we're messed up. But thankfully, here's the good news the doctrine of redemption is also bigger than us. What God has done to redeem us will one day extend to creation itself. Paul taught us this truth in Romans chapter 8. Look at these words with me. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself, listen, also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of of the children of God. That the redemption of the world is bound up with our own redemption. God is not going to cast this world aside. He's going to do the same thing that He does with us. He's going to redeem us. He's going to make us new. He's going to make this creation new. To do anything less would be to allow Satan to have the final word. About the earth. And that is something that God will never do. Theologian Stephen Lawson has said this whatever sin has touched and polluted, God will redeem and cleanse. If redemption does not go as far as the curse of sin, then God has failed. Whatever the extent of the consequences of sin, so must the extent of redemption be. It's just like we sing at Christmas time when we sing the carol Joy to the World. Maybe you remember that it has these words in it No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The redemption that Jesus has won will extend every bit as far as the curse. God will redeem and recreate the earth for us to live in forever and ever. The best book that I have ever read read about heaven is Randy Alcorn's book entitled Heaven. Uh, I believe it is a new classic book that uh, I really believe if the Lord tarries, the church will still be reading 100 years from now. It is a lengthy book, but if you're so inclined to study more about this topic, I'd highly recommend Alcorn's book to you. And he writes this, that God says to us that we're going to live on a new earth. And he doesn't say that by accident. He doesn't choose those words haphazardly. And if he says that we're going to live on a new earth, then the closest parallel for us to understand what that new earth will be like is the present earth. Otherwise, why would God have called it an earth? And so he says instead of looking up to the clouds and trying to imagine what heaven will be like in some ethereal place, he says the best way to think about what the new earth will be like is to look around us at the rivers and the trees and the mountains of the earth. The truth is that heaven will be a lot earthier than we think, but it will be an earth like we've never seen before. It will be an earth somewhat like the one that Adam and Eve briefly got to enjoy before they fell into sin, but even better. It will be an earth that is free from the curse, an earth that is free from the effects of sin. It will be an earth where nothing sinful happens. You know, maybe sometimes you are out in creation, and you're just enjoying a beautiful aspect of God's creation, like the sunset or the sunrise, or the mountains, or the trees, and something inside of you says, you know what, I just, I just wish that heaven could be something like, like this. But without the pain, without the sin, without the death, and what we read in Scripture is that is exactly what heaven will be like. Something very much like this, but without the sin, without the pain, and without the death on a new earth. That's the first theme that we really need to take in, that heaven will be a new remade and recreated earth, but it will be like our earth in many ways. And you see many of those earthy elements, even in Revelation 21 and 22, you read about rivers and trees and streets and nations and kings, many of the things that we find on earth. And if we have trouble Thinking about heaven in those terms, it may be because we have imbibed some unbiblical concepts about heaven. Thinking about it as an ethereal place, somewhere far off, where we'll float around forever, but nothing could be further from the truth. And that really connects with the second theme I want us to think about more quickly. That's the theme of the resurrection. That We go from life in this body to life in a resurrected body. I think that part of the reason why we think about heaven as an ethereal place up in the clouds somewhere rather than on the new earth, like the Bible says, is because we also don't think about ourselves in the future as the Bible teaches. Many Christians believe that in heaven we will be disembodied spirits who are floating around for all eternity. But as we talked about last time, biblically, the only time that we will be disembodied spirits, the only time that we will be spirits without a body is in the present heaven, the heaven that believers go to right now when they die before the Lord returns. But more or less, that is a waiting room where we will be with the Lord, while we are waiting for the return of the King, while we are waiting for that, that experience in the new heaven and the new earth that Revelation 21 and 22 are talking about. And by that time, Jesus will have returned for his church and all believers will have received a resurrected body. And you see several hints that we're going to have a resurrected body in Revelation 21 and 22. One of them is in Revelation 22:4, 4 where it says they shall see His face and His name shall be on their foreheads. Now maybe you say, well, what does that have to do with having a resurrected body? Well, to put it bluntly, spirits don't have foreheads. And if God is going to put a name on our foreheads, we have to have a body by that point, And we will. Because in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God created us with a body. When the Lord Jesus became a man, he took on flesh and he dwelt among us and he lived in a human body. Even after his death and resurrection, Jesus received a glorified body. And right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God in a glorified human body. Did you know that? Jesus did not stop being a man when he went back to heaven. He will forever be the God-man, fully God and fully man with nail prints in his hands. And he is the first fruits of the body that we will one day receive. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, One day we'll be given a glorified body, like the glorified body the Lord Jesus has now. And he wrote this So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And and I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that spiritual, glorified body that the Lord says we're going to receive one day. I think especially about those in this life who were born with or who live with Disabilities. I think about those believers who deal with cerebral palsy, those believers who are quadri- quadriplegics and paraplegics. I think about Joni Erickson Tata, who became a quadriplegic after a diving accident at the age of 17. This is what Joni Erickson Tata wrote. She said, Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied useless legs with the splendorous resurrected legs. I'm convinced, she says, that if there are mirrors in heaven, and why not, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Joni, although a much better, brighter Joni. And God will grant our sister, Joni, a new resurrected body on that day, and he will grant one to each of us who are called by his name. And that truth about heaven matters. It matters not only because at the beginning of the Bible, God created us as embodied people, but it matters because if God is going to redeem all of us, then he must redeem us body and soul. And it also matters because of something we're going to talk about in a few minutes. If in heaven we are just a spirit without a body, it's hard to imagine what we will be doing for all of eternity. But if in heaven we are embodied spirits, as the Bible teaches, and how exciting is that going to be? To be able to explore for all eternity in our resurrected, glorified bodies the new creation that God is preparing for us. There's the theme of recreation. There's the theme of resurrection. But thirdly, we can't miss this theme of our relationship with God, that we go from banishment from the presence of God to basking in the presence of God. And this is what should excite us about heaven the most, that we get to be with our God The God who made us, the God who saved us, and we get to be with him and experience him in a way like never before. Again, you see that in Revelation 21, 3, where three times it says God will be with us. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And then over in Revelation 22 in verse 4, we read these beautiful words. They shall see his face. And I know we talked about these words uh, the last time we looked at this text, but I want us to spend a few more minutes looking at them this morning because I think it's easy to just kind of read past that and and not to take in how shocking that is. That one day we get to see the face of Of Christ. You know, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, you remember that Adam and Eve, before they fell into sin, got to enjoy very close, intimate fellowship with God. They got to walk with God in the garden. But after sin came, after they fell, they were kicked out of the garden, they were banished from the garden and not able to enjoy that fellowship anymore. And really from that point forward in the word of God, what we read over and over again is God emphasizing this point of how holy he is and how unholy we are and how we are not able to come into his presence that we dare not come into his presence apart from a sacrifice and think that we're going to live to talk about it. Maybe you remember the high priest who once a year was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God especially dwelt. Tradition says they would tie a rope to the ankle of that high priest when he went in there in case God struck him down dead while he was in there because if that happened, nobody else was allowed to go in and nobody else dared to go into the room to take his body out. Maybe you remember the story of Uzziah, who one time reached out his hand to try to steady the Ark of God, to try to keep it from toppling over, but because he was not permitted to touch the Ark of God, God struck him down dead. Maybe you remember that Moses, as wonderful and as great of a leader as he was, who asked to see the glory of God, was not permitted to see the face of God but was only permitted to see his back, the reflection of God's glory after it had gone by. And even the Lord Jesus, when he came and dwelt among us, his glory was veiled in some sense by his flesh. And only on that occasion when he was on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John was that veil pulled back ever so slightly so they could see some of his radiant glory. But even then they were not able to see the fullness of that glory. And yet we read here that one day when we are with the Lord on this new earth, that we will be with our God, that we will be able to see his face. And we will live to tell about it. As Alcorn says, not only will we see his face and live, but we will likely wonder if we ever lived before we saw his face. Theologians have called this moment when we see the face of God, the beatific vision. It means a happy-making vision, a happy-making sight. And what a happy sight it will be. I don't know about you, but I've often wished that I could have lived 2,000 years ago. Have you ever wondered that? If you could have lived 2,000, if you could have been on the earth at the time when Jesus walked the earth. If you could have been there somewhere in the crowd, if you could have witnessed his miracles, if you could have been sitting there the day that he gave the sermon on the mount. in church, what we're reading here is that one day we will get to do all of those things. That one day we will get to be with Jesus on this new earth. We will get to see him. We will get to hear him. But we will not be banished from his presence. We will be basking in his presence because of the grace of God. Because of what he has done to redeem us through his death and through his resurrection. We've looked at the themes of recreation and resurrection and relationship. There's one more theme I want to mention. only have time just to touch on this quickly. But it's the theme of rule. That we will go from dominion over this earth to reigning and ruling with Christ over the new earth. In Genesis 1, God gave Adam dominion over the rest of creation. But of course, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that changed our ability to exercise that dominion in a way that pleases God. But to borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis, God has not given up on his plan for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve to rule over his creation. And what we read in Revelation 22, 5 is that one day we will. He writes, and they shall reign forever and ever. Christ will reign as the undisputed king of heaven and earth. And we who are called by his name, who are his co-heirs, the Bible says amazingly, shockingly, will reign with him. I also just mentioned that the Bible says that positions of leadership in God's new creation will be given out based on our faithfulness to God in this life. Jesus taught that repeatedly. If we are faithful in a few things, God will put us in charge over many things. And it may be surprising to us who ends up in those positions of leadership, who ends up, as it says in Revelation 21, as the kings of the earth. It may not be the megachurch pastors who end up in those roles. It may be someone, even now, who is cleaning a restroom or Serving in the nursery, changing diapers. One of the things I love about this church family is that there are so many in this church family who have such a humble, selfless, Christ like heart. And when that day comes, I would be privileged and happy to serve under your leadership. I know the doctrine of heaven raises a lot of questions in our minds. And while we aren't given the answers to every question that we have about heaven, we are given the answers to many of them. In Randy Alcorn's book, he tackles dozens and dozens of these questions and gives biblical answers to them. I just want to hit on seven of the most commonly asked questions about heaven. Here is the first one. Will there be space and time in heaven? The answer to that question is yes, yes. Now there is in some circles this rather odd concept that in heaven, uh, it will be kind of a spaceless, timeless place, but that concept is not found in the Bible. Uh, Some people argue from the King James Version of Revelation 10.6, where it says, time will be no longer, but in most other translations, including the New King James Translation, that phrase is translated more accurately to read, there will be no more delay. In the context of that passage, it's saying not that there will be no time in heaven, but that at this point in Revelation, there will be no more delay before the judgment of God comes upon the earth. And as you read through Revelation, you notice a sequence of events. You notice the passing of time. You notice one trumpet that is blown after the next, one seal that is opened after the next. And even in Revelation 22, we read about a tree of life that produces fruit every month. There is time in heaven, but it is time that will go on without end. Of course, there is also space in heaven. We will live out our eternal existence on a new earth where the capital city of the new Jerusalem comes down and is described to us in great detail in Revelation chapter 21. So yes, there will be space and time. Here's question number two. Will we be ourselves? And some people teach that we will be absorbed into the divine when we get to heaven they think that because we'll be perfect and that we'll be like christ that we will all be exactly the same in every single way that we'll lose all of our distinctiveness all of our personalities the things that make us us but the bible nowhere teaches that some people also say that when we get to heaven we will become angels But that is not a theological concept, that is a cinematic concept that for many people comes from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. As great as it is to see Clarence get his wings, the Bible does not teach that we become angels in heaven. Angels are angels and people are people. When we get to heaven, we won't all become angels and we won't all become the same person and lose everything that makes us Us. God is not most glorified in uniformity, but God is glorified in unity in diversity. In Revelation chapter 7, we read that we're going to retain even our ethnic distinctions, that there will be a beautiful multiculturalism in heaven, an ethnic diversity where there will be some from every tribe and every tongue and every people group, both now and in the past in history that will be gathered around the throne of God, worshiping Him. We will not all be the same in heaven. We will be distinct. In Revelation 2 and 3, we read that God will give to each of us a new name. What a beautiful thing. A name that is only known, it says, to Him and to us. No, we will not stop being ourselves when we get to heaven. In fact, we will be more like our real selves and was ever possible here because of sin. Question number three, will there be marriage in heaven? A very common question. The answer to that question is actually yes and no. No, there won't be human marriages like the marriages that we have now. And we know that because one day, a group of people known as the Sadducees came up to Jesus and tried to trap him. And they told him a story about a woman who married a man and he died. And then she married his brother and he died. And then she married every single one of his brothers and all seven of his brothers died. And I'm not sure why any of those guys kept marrying her (laughs) after about the third or fourth time, but they did. And then the Sadducees thought they had Jesus and they thought they had him trapped. And they said, Jesus, now she married seven guys. So Whose wife is she going to be in heaven? And after Jesus told them that they didn't really understand the word of God very well, he said this to them, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. He's not saying that we become angels there. He's saying that we're like angels in this regard, that we won't be married in heaven to our current spouse or to any other person either. But the answer to the question, will there be marriage in heaven, is also a yes, because there will be one marriage in heaven. We will all be married to the same person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amazing as it is to think about, he is the groom and we collectively will be his bride. I know that this teaching sometimes makes people sad to hear that their human marriages will come to an end. I remember when uh, Megan and I were engaged, we were at uh, Chick-fil-A, because that's where Christian people eat. And, um, <laughs> and uh, she asked me this question, will we still be married in heaven? When I talked with her about this passage that I just shared about, there were tears welling up in her eyes. You know, now she's been married to me for over 12 years. I'm not sure there will still be tears there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but But here's the thing, just because... Megan and I won't be married on the new earth in the sense that we are married here does not mean that my relationship with Megan will be a cool, cool, aloof relationship. Megan is my best friend. And I can't imagine that there'd be anybody else that I'd rather explore the new creation with than her. And that's one thing that we need to keep in our mind. In heaven, our relationships don't get shallower. They get deeper. And that relates to the next question. Will we recognize anybody? The answer to that is, of course we will. George MacDonald was asked one time if we would recognize friends in heaven. And he replied, shall we be greater fools in paradise than we are here? His answer is a little bit direct, but I think we get the point. What makes us think that our friendships and relationships will end when we get to heaven? Friendship is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. And in heaven, there is no reason to believe that we won't pick up our friendships right where we left them off here. And heaven will continue to build on those friendships. I've been friends with Our children's pastor, Pastor Jason Mole, since we were 10 years old, we've been friends for nearly 30 years. I pray that we'll be friends for another 40 or 50 or 60 years here on this earth. But I'm also looking forward to 300 million years of friendship and counting on the new earth with Jason. He still won't be able to beat me in ping pong. But I'm looking forward to it. There's, there's no biblical reason to think that we won't recognize or know who our children were in this life and that our relationships with them won't be very deep and very personal. We will know who our family was, but the Bible also says that we will gain a whole lot of other family members, brothers and sisters as well, because we'll all be a part of one big family, the family of God that has been saved by the blood of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a fifth question a lot of people wonder about. Will there be animals in heaven? And the answer to that is absolutely. In Isaiah 65, we find a description of the new creation. And it says in verse 25, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain." says the Lord. Animals will be there, but they won't be attacking and feeding on each other as they are here on this earth. If you think about it, animals were present in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Animals were present when God recreated the earth in the days of Noah. The Lord had Noah save the animals on the ark with himself and his family. And you think about it, animals were even present at the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And according to Scripture, animals will be there on the new earth as well. Another important question is this one. Number six, will we learn anything in heaven? And again, the answer is an emphatic yes. The Bible does not teach that when we get to heaven, that we will be omniscient, knowing everything, like God does. Now, what we know when we get to heaven will be accurate. Anything that we misunderstood here will be corrected, but we will not know exhaustively like God does. 1 Peter 1 says that even the angels in heaven still don't know everything, and there are things that they long to look into. And I think that's exciting, that we will have all eternity to learn and discover more and more about God, who, by the way, we will never get to the bottom of, And we will have all eternity to learn more about this creation that he has made. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And we will not stop learning from Jesus throughout all the days of eternity. What a privilege it will be to sit at his feet and learn more and more. One final question. And then I want to talk about a few things we can take away from all of this. Here's number seven. What will we do there? What will we do there? And usually this question is asked because it springs from a place uh, uh, of some of the unbiblical assumptions about heaven uh, that we have already talked about. Like it's not a real place, that it's not really on, a, on the new earth, that we won't have real bodies. And so we kind of wonder what we're going to be doing floating around on the clouds for all of eternity. But once we understand that we will be living on a new earth with a new resurrected glorified body, then I think a better question is not what will we do there, but what won't we do there? Now We know we won't sin there. And with sin out of the way forever, everything will be in front of us. There's no reason to think that in heaven we won't continue to explore and invent new technologies. Maybe we'll finally get that hoverboard technology we were promised in Back to the Future. We'll continue to make music, continue to make art. We'll continue to work because work was created before the fall. Work is a part of what makes us human beings to work and find enjoyment and pleasure in our work that is done to the glory of God. There's also no reason to believe, by the way, for the sports fans in the room that we won't continue to play sports. Now, Alcorn talks about someone who said to him that he didn't want to play golf in heaven because it would get boring hitting a hole in one every time. I think it would take a while for that to get boring for me, but The Bible doesn't say that we will become experts at everything immediately upon entering heaven. It also doesn't say that we will be equally as good at everything as everyone else. I'll probably be just as bad at golf in heaven as I am now. (laughs) But I'll have all eternity to get better. And some of y'all who have played with me know that still might not be long enough. (laughs) The answer to that question, what will we do in heaven, is almost limitless. And I'm sure we'll invent new things to do that have never been invented before. But in everything we do, we will be in the presence of God. And everything we do will be done as worship unto him. Before we close, just one more important question. How should believing in heaven change the way I live? God has not told us about heaven in his word for us to do nothing with it. He wants this doctrine, our belief in heaven, to change the way we live our lives. Here are several ways it should change the way we live our lives. Because I believe in heaven, I should always have hope. I should always have hope. Christians have no reason to be pessimistic. No matter how difficult life may become, I can take heart because I know, as one person has said, that this is as close to hell as I will ever get. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him until that day. Heaven is my destination, and I pray that it is yours. Spiritually speaking, we are already there, sitting at the right hand of Christ, and one day we will be with him forever and ever. As a Christian, I should always have hope, and so should you. Number two, I should have no fear of death. Death is our last enemy, but death has already been defeated by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Death has been swallowed up in victory, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. And so whenever death comes for me, whether that is 50 years from now or whether it is tomorrow, it is not the end for me. It is only the beginning. As C.S. Lewis famously wrote at the very end of his Chronicles of Narnia series, he wrote this, all their life in this world, and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Also, because I believe in heaven, I should live a holy life. As John wrote in 1 John 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him Purifies himself just as he is pure. Because I know that one day, very soon, I will be with Jesus. Because I know that he has seated me in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I know that the Spirit of God is at work in me right now, making me more and more like Jesus, getting me ready for an eternity that I will spend with him. And the more our minds are fixed on these truths, the more we think about the hope of heaven, the greater purity we will live with in the here and now. Number four, because I believe in heaven, I should work hard for Christ. The Bible tells me that nothing that I do for Jesus Christ will be wasted. That even the smallest things that I do for him, even giving a cup of cold water to someone in the name of Christ, that God sees it and that one day God will reward it. What we do for him matters. I love what a missionary named C.T. Studd once said, and I love that name too. And this guy was a stud. And here's what he said. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's not waste our life chasing things that don't matter, watching things that don't matter, listening to things that don't matter. Let's work and be poured out on the altar for Jesus Christ. We have all eternity to enjoy his reward, but we only have one life to live here for Christ on this present earth. Let's make it count because we believe In heaven. And then finally, there's no more important action point than this. If I believe in heaven, I should make sure that I am going there. Friend, I hope that you do not hear all that has been shared today about heaven and not end up being there with us. The Bible doesn't say that everyone will go to heaven. In fact, the Bible says that every single one of us deserves an eternity in hell because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. And the only reason that any of us can spend eternity in heaven is because Jesus Christ came, because he lived a perfect life that we have not been able to live, because he went to the cross and all of our sin was laid on him because he paid for it with his blood, and because he rose again and conquered the grave on the third day. And right now, today, if anyone in this room will turn in faith to Jesus, he will come into your life, he will transform you, he will redeem you, he will remake you, and he will assure you that you will be with him forever and ever. 1 John 5, 13 says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I pray you don't leave this place without knowing that you will spend eternity in this place called heaven.